you guys put into that, I sure appreciate it. Uh, tonight we're going to be in 1 Corinthians. Uh, to start, we'll move around a little bit tonight. Um, if I did not get a chance to see you in person and wish you a Merry Christmas, I'd do that now. Of course, we were out of town for about 10 days, and so I'm a little bit late on that, but I apologize. Little Bear Bible Club. Little Bear Bible Club. They were going to mutiny. Wow. I can feel the rumblings. They're going to come and take over the pulpit here. Had a great time at Christmas and uh, just getting back into the area this weekend and uh, enjoying getting to see some of you. Um, how many of you are planning to stay up late tonight? See the ball drop. Planning to stay up late? Okay. I've got a pro tip. Uh, New York, the ball drops at 9 p.m. our time. So our children will be staying up to watch the ball drop, but they will not know that it will be 9 p.m. Uh, and it will be their bedtime at 9, and so they will watch the ball drop. Yay, the new year is here. Go to bed. Uh, that way their, uh, their sleep schedule does not get a little bit too out of whack. Any adults that are planning to go to bed after the 9 o'clock ball drop? That's me. My, my hand's up. That's the plan. Enjoy it. Go to sleep. Seen it before. All right. Um, as we come to the end of the year, of course, New Year's resolutions. Anybody have any New Year's resolutions? plans for the new year. I've got goals and dreams and all those sorts of things. Not a lot. Did not see a lot of hands. Maybe you had yours. If you haven't made one, you still have about six hours, uh, six and a half hours. You can put those together while I'm preaching. Uh, So that might be a good uh, good thing for you to do. As we kind of come to the end of the year, I think a a common time of reflection um, as we look back on a, a full year and what have we accomplished and what are the things that we have uh, worked through and done, and what has God seen us do and, and used us to accomplish within a given year. And um, I cannot, you know, speak to each of you individually and find out whether or not you have been successful based on your 2023 resolutions. Anybody remember any of those? Um, and hopefully, maybe you kept all of your 2023 resolutions. Um, but as we look tonight at God's Word, I want to reflect on this thought of knowing that you were successful spiritually in 2023. And so I've got three tests tonight that we're going to take a look at from God's Word about ways that we can determine whether or not we are pursuing God in a way that is biblical and in a way that shows forth evidence of what God has done in our lives. And we're going to jump in tonight in 1 Corinthians 3. You know, as I've been reading my Bible, I've kind of been all over the place recently and just jumping around from book of the Bible to book of the Bible, just following little rabbit trails and things. Um, I don't know if you read your Bible like that, but recently that's been the way I've been doing it. And uh, it's been interesting. I've read a lot in the Gospels and uh, discovering how the disciples, uh, and you can read about them all in all of the Gospels, about how they were called into uh, ministry and didn't even really realize what they were getting into. At least we're not given the context that they knew anything. You know, you read in Matthew 4, and I think four of the disciples are called to uh, pursue or to follow Jesus in a discipleship sort of role. And he just walks up to um, uh, Andrew and Simon Peter, and they're out there fishing. And as far as I, we know, they were close enough to shore to hear him, because that, that's all we're allowed to know. And he just says, follow me. And they're like, okay. And so they just abandon their, their nets, and they just pursue after Jesus. Um, and then you look at the, the same chapter there in Matthew 4, where um, you have James and John, and they're mending their nets, also fishermen. And uh, the stories continue, and they're, they're men, uh, the 12 disciples that are all, at some point, approached by Jesus and said, follow me. And they dropped everything to follow him. What's interesting to me as I reflect on those men and the call that they, that they heard 
was it initially started off as a, as a call to follow a man. For each of the disciples, Jesus was simply a man. But he walked up and he said, follow me. And there was something about him, and of course, you know, we, we know from the scriptures in Isaiah that, uh, that there, was, there was nothing that we should desire about him. He was, he was not especially good looking or, um, you know, any of those sorts of things. But there was something about Jesus that these men, 12 men, young men, dropped everything. Everything about their livelihood, everything regarding their futures, and they said, I'm going to follow him. And what's incredible to me is for three and a half years they followed a man. And for none of the, and it's interesting, we read the, we read the Gospels with the full clarity of, of the written word. And we see what Jesus accomplished in those three and a half years. But for the disciples, it was always just a man they were following. And it wasn't until Jesus died on the cross that they real, and, and came back that they realized this truly was the Christ. This truly was the Messiah. And it was not until the fulfillment of the promises that they realized that they had been following God all along. And I want to start off here in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, understanding this natural progression that happens in the life of a Christian. The natural progression is that we start often, many of us, and and if you reflected on your life and and the way that you have pursued God, the, the natural reality is that you started off following a man. Not Jesus. Jesus isn't here walking around. But you probably started off by following a spiritual leader, man or woman, You followed a human pursuing God, and at some point, as you grow, you come to a discovery that you're actually pursuing God the whole time. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 sets the difference for us, starting in verse 1, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. That word carnal there means fleshly or worldly. It's meant to be... Uh, it's meant to be a sarcastic way of saying things, like, this thing does not exist. There's no such thing as a carnal Christian. It's supposed to be a play on words. I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto you were not able to bear it. Neither yet now are ye able. For ye are yet carnal. For whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? For while one saith, I am of Paul, and another I am of Apollos, are ye not carnal? Who then is Paul and who is Apollos? But ministers by whom ye believed, even as the Lord gave to every man. And we see here in the early church here in, in Corinth, the, the, the people were separating themselves based on who they were following, which is a natural thing for an immature Christian to do. I follow this man, and I, I'm part of this person's crowd, and I'm part of this denomination, I'm part of this group of thinking, and this way of going, and this is my church, and these are the people that I follow, and I only listen or read this person or follow this person, and these are the only sermons that I listen to. And these were, this was a very common thing that even the Church of Corinth, even in the first generation of Christians, was, was following. And we see this all throughout uh, our world today. Keep reading. Verse 6, I have planted, Apollos watered, but God... Gave the increase. So then, neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Now, he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labors. For we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry, ye are God's building. According to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. Verse 11. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Christ Jesus. 
we find here some marks of immaturity. The envying, the emulations, the strife. And with carnal Christians, we, we find that. And maybe you've been a part of a group before that uh, had a lot of that. And the, the frustration of being a part of a group that's so focused on, uh, on just backbiting and gossiping and all those sorts of things. And, and Paul calls it out here for what it is. And this fixation of being a follower of man. And by the way, a man that may be good. I have nothing bad to say about Paul. I have nothing bad to say about Apollos. And uh, these men were both men who represented God. And, and maybe the person that you are following is somebody who is godly. And praise the Lord for, for strong leaders and for people who can stand up and set forth a good example of what it is that we should be doing and following and pursuing and the ways that we should go. And we praise the Lord for people who have gone on before us and, and showed us by example and by their lifestyle the right way that we should go. But the natural progression for every Christian is that one day, after having followed someone, you wake up and realize that all along, the actual person that I've been following and pursuing was never this person. It was Jesus. And so our first question, by way of determining whether or not we have grown in 2023, who are you following? Who are you following? You know, a godly leader gets his joy from those who follow God. A membership that is tied into Jesus, not a building, not a person, not a group of people, not a group of friends and relatives who all come together, but is tied directly into Jesus. First, uh, Third John verse 4 says, I, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. A godly leader pushes people to others. And my hope and my prayer is that in 2023, if not before, many of you have been Christians for much longer than I've been alive. But if you're new to Christianity and, and you've experienced the Christianity that is marked by the carnality and it's marked by the fleshliness, the worldliness, and you're coming out of some of these sorts of things and you're discovering the path forward, my prayer, my hope is that you've learned to build your relationship with Jesus. Amen. Who are you following? Once you've matured into pursuing God, right? Step one. Instead of just a man who represents him, there is a new measure to your growth. And I've got two passages. Turn with me to James. James chapter 3. Starting in verse 14. James chapter 3 and verse 14. But if ye have bitter envying and strife in your hearts... Glory not, and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure and peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 5, another passage you're familiar with. Starting in verse 13, the Bible says, For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty... Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love 
serve one another. For all the laws fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. You know, I love that verse. You notice that the, the emphasis in that verse is not to abstain from walking in the flesh. It doesn't say, uh, you know, be a good Christian, don't walk in the flesh by following the Spirit. It says, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of flesh. Isn't that awesome? The emphasis is always on our pursuit of God. It's always on the fellowship of God. And when we follow God, the rest of those pieces of the puzzle take care of themselves. Keep reading with me. Verse 17, For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary the one to another, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. But if ye be led of the spirit, ye are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, Witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envies, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. Of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, Against such there is no law. For they that are in Christ, that, for they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another and envying one another. And we find here as we progress in our maturing out of pursuing a man and we discover that we've been pursuing God all along, there's a natural progression. And this natural progression results in the byproduct which is the fruit of the Spirit. We develop the fruit of the Spirit, we develop fruit in our lives as we follow Christ. And by the way, it is a byproduct. Sometimes we uh, get this idea that we're supposed to set out to produce the fruit of the Spirit in our own lives, and we, we forget that it's the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit. The Spirit is the one who produces it in us, not the other way around. And sometimes as Christians, we get this idea that we kind of go forward in 2024 and I want to be more loving and I want to be more compassionate. I want to be more merciful. And those things are great ideas. But the true fruit of the Spirit, a fruit that cannot be created by your hands, your mind, your capacity, your skills, your ability to choose and decide for yourself, is the fruit of the Spirit. The Spirit does the work in us. And as we find that we are no longer pursuing man, we're no longer pursuing the things of this world, we've set aside the carnality, we've set aside the worldliness, we've stopped pursuing the fleshly lusts, and we have pursued God, following God in the purpose for what he has called us to, what we discover about ourselves is there's fruit, fruit that remains. And these fruits that are listed here are love and joy and peace and long-suffering and gentleness and goodness and faith and meekness and temperance and uh, these things that come together and form what God has created in us, not something that we can create in ourselves. Sometimes as, as Christians, we're guilty of trying to put on airs and appear to be something that we are not. The fruit of the Spirit is something that God develops in us. And so our first question today... Who are you following? The second question is, where is your fruit? You know, John chapter 15, and I didn't have this in my notes, but John 15 talks about 
uh, the vine and the branches. And how if we are not connected into Jesus, we cannot bear fruit. Uh, In fact, turn there with me. John 15. Colby, I'm sorry, I'm messing you up. John chapter 15. Just show you a couple passages here. The Bible says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. Verse 4, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, and ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing. How much would our lives look differently if we applied this thought to ourselves? Apart from me, ye can do nothing. Nothing that we've ever accomplished has, has mattered of, in and of ourselves. No great work that we've ever sought out to achieve on our own has ever come to fruition. But that which we do in Christ lasts. It matters for eternity. And you say, look, my Brother Cameron, you know, I've been doing this for a long time and I don't see the fruit and I don't see the, 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 the children whose lives are changed and they're not all back in the same church. and All of the things that you judge yourself by, the Bible says that you're not the one that's responsible for that. You have the responsibility of connecting yourself to the vine Amen. and nothing more. You have no responsibility. Read the passage, John 15. Read it for you. There's no responsibility on your part to bear fruit. It is your, connected, it's your connectivity to the Spirit, to Jesus, that brings about the life-giving blood that naturally produces fruit. That's what it is. And sometimes we, we get this really weird thought about Christianity that I've got to have all of these accomplishments and let me put my little things in a row and let me show you all of the things that I've done with my life and I've been in ministry for this many years and all these sorts of things. And we want to create a, a resume or a, 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 a thing that, that shows all of the great things that we've accomplished. But God has not called us to that. God has called us to connectivity with Him. Amen. God has called us to be connected to the vine. We are the branches. If we bear fruit, it is a byproduct of our connectivity to Jesus. And only a byproduct. We have a responsibility to pursue our relationship with God. And the fruit of the Spirit will always be a byproduct of those things. Question two, where is your fruit? Finally tonight, we're moving along well. Once you have established your foundation, Jesus is the foundation, and you are growing, you're producing fruit in the way that God would have you to do so, you will face a third question. I believe this is the most difficult of the three. Turn with me to John chapter 9. We're going to go through much of this chapter. Such a, a miraculous story. And simultaneously just devastating. John chapter 9, the Bible says, And as Jesus passed by, he saw. Isn't it amazing that God always sees? He never misses. He never had his eyes closed and just didn't see that thing. Good or bad. Whether it's sin in your life that you're trying to hide from him, or whether you're afraid that God's not noticing the pain and the turmoil that you're going through, he sees. 
He sees a man which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus goes to answer him. What's interesting is the, the Bible says that Jesus passed by. We, we are given no impression that Jesus was going to stop and deal with this man until the disciples asked him. You ever thought about that when you're praying for someone? If Jesus was going to pass by until you stopped to pray for them? God has called us to prayer. God has called us to intercession. And we are guilty so often, Christians, of, of, of getting super fixated on our own lives. And God bless me. And, and we go through the list. We're so, we go through the list. We have a, our, our little list that we pray through. And God bless this person, bless that person, bless this person, bless that person. We go down the list of all the people that we care about. And that's wonderful. But we don't stop to take time to pray for them in their needs, in the life-changing things that God could do. God still does miracles. God is still a miracle-working God. Praying for the people around us. Verse 3, And Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned, nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. You ever reflected on a situation, maybe it's your own situation, where you felt like something about that situation suggested that something had gone wrong somewhere? Maybe you felt like you were doing pretty good and things were going a, a pretty good way. And, and life was working out, and all of a sudden, tragedy hit. Someone passed away, something changed, the stock market fell, whatever it was, and your whole life turned upside down. And in your wonderings, did it ever occur to you that maybe it wasn't something that you did? Maybe it wasn't something that someone else did to you. But maybe it was so that God could manifest his work in your life. You see, when everything is good, God's glory cannot be proclaimed. Because against good, good just seems like more good. And when everything is good, then nothing is good. You know, in, uh, in design, and none of you care about design, so that's okay. But in design, there's this law that if everything is in bold, then nothing's in bold. Right? you look at a piece of paper and everything is the exact same size font and everything is the exact same width, it's all just a bunch of words. But as soon as you take one word and you make it massive, that's the word. That's the thing. That's the first thing you see when you look at the page. And in retrospect of God's glory, when you reflect on what he's done in your life, and everything's already been going along pretty good and all of a sudden it's a little good, you're like, oh, that was pretty cool. But imagine the same situation against the backdrop of tragedy and how God comes through and all of a sudden it's massive. And the change that God brings through is not one that is born through other goodness, but it's brought about by great and massive situational difference when that which is tragic is seen against that which is great. But that the work of God should be manifest in him. Verse 4, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had thus spoken, as far as we know, he did not say a single word to this man. He spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And said unto him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation sent. 
He went his way, therefore, and washed and came seen. Now, what's interesting is Jesus leaves. Jesus leaves. He's not there. We're going to see that in the passage here. But Jesus has, he was there. He didn't talk to the man. He just spits in the ground. He does something really strange. Ever notice that sometimes the things that God does sound very strange to the ears of those listening? You ever had a situation where you're like, man, God moved in a special way and everybody else is kind of scratching their head like, okay, good for you. This young man, this guy spit in the ground, he told me to go wash my eyes, and I went and did it. Now he's disappeared, but all of a sudden I can see. Look at verse 8. The neighbors, therefore, and they uh, they which had uh, before had seen him that he was blind said, Is not this he that sat and begged? This guy was a regular. He was the one that sat there all the time. This This was a guy who his entire livelihood was to sit in a place... Probably the same place just about every single day. Um, and maybe you're, you're familiar with panhandlers and, and people in the area that maybe ask for money. And this guy would have been very similar to that. A guy who was uh, having a tough time in life, couldn't really provide for his family in any other way. And so he would sit and beg. And the neighbors here, they see him and they say, Wasn't this the guy that was just asking me for money this morning? Wasn't this the same guy who just, he sat here and begged? And some said, This is he. Others said, He is like him. And then he said, no, 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 that was me. I am he. I'm the guy who asked you this morning for money. I recognize your voice, and now I see you with my eyes. Therefore said they unto him, how were thine eyes opened? He answered and said, a man that is called Jesus made clay and anointed mine eyes and said unto me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. And I went and washed and I received sight. And then said they unto him, where is he? He said, I know not. So they brought him to the Pharisees. What a, what a great group of people. Him that aforetime was blind, it was Sabbath day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Uh-oh. Got some problems, some theological issues here. Jesus was healing on the Sabbath day. You know, sometimes, and I don't know this, okay. Sometimes I wonder if Jesus just waited until the Sabbath day just to mess with the Pharisees. You know? Like if he took, he, he rested for six days and only worked on the seventh just to, just to bother them. I don't know. Kind of want to go back and find out. Then again, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight, and he said unto them, He put the clay upon mine eyes, and I washed and do see. It's pretty simple. You know, at this point, he's like, he's told the story a bunch of times now. Therefore said some of the Pharisees, This man is not of God, because he keepeth not the Sabbath day. Others said, How can a man that is a sinner do such miracles? And there was this division among them. And we see this is early in Jesus' story because the Pharisees still disagree about whether or not Jesus actually represents God. They said unto the blind man again, What sayest thou of him, that he hath opened thine eyes? He said, He is a prophet. But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of him that had received his sight. Isn't that interesting? They, they, this guy was blind. He's been blind for a long time. Blind since birth, as far as we know, but we don't really trust you. So let's call in your parents and let's get their perspective on this. And they asked them, saying, is this your son, who ye say were born blind? Allegedly, your child was blind. Tell us more. How then doth he now see? His parents answered them and said, we know that this is our son, and that he was born blind. But by what means he now seeth, we know not. Or who hath opened his eyes, we know not. He is of age... Ask him, he shall speak for himself. But look at verse 22. 
These words spake his parents because they feared the Jews. This young man, whose life, at no fault of his own, at no fault of his parents, had been devastated. Not been able to be brought up like a normal child. Blind. Unable to play the way that children love to play. Unable to live and enjoy life in a world that was not good at providing for people who were handicapped. They weren't good at that. A man whose entire life was one tragedy built upon another. A man who, able-bodied, except for his eyesight, was begging for money because he had no other options. The shame, the reproach that was put upon him, sitting in the marketplace just waiting for someone to come and give him a few coins. His entire life a tragedy and his parents are brought in. And how much joy they must have experienced right at the beginning. Our son can see. And maybe it was, I don't know, maybe it was their only son. In a, in, a, in a culture where a son grows up and provides for his parents. And their whole life they've been wondering, how are we going to retire? How are we going to be able to live out the end of our days at a time when we can no longer work, when we have a son who the best he can do, the best he can accomplish of his own power, is to beg. How are we going to live out our life? And they're brought in before the Jews, and the, the joy that must have flooded over them to find out that our son has been healed. And God has done a miraculous work. And they hear their son say, this man, Jesus, he, he healed me. And he touched my eyes and he put the, the, the clay over them. And I went and washed and now he's gone, but I can see. And for the first time, locking eyes with a young man that you've loved, who would have never been able to see you. But their response was not one of joy. It was a response of fear. Because they feared more the repercussions of identifying in a way that was not popular, spiritually, with a miraculous man named Jesus, than they loved and cared for the miraculous work that God had done in their son's life. What a tragedy. That fear was a greater emotion than love. You know, as you reflect on your process of maturing, you know that you will not always be received with love. Not every step that you take in the Christian life will be one that is popular. Sometimes your neighbors deliver you to the Pharisees. And the Pharisees sit on their high horse and they consider the theological implications of the situation that you're bringing forth. And so the third question tonight, once you've determined who you are following, once you have determined whether or not you have any fruit, is have you let the crowd steal your joy? The crowd was not for this man. Because of his identification with Jesus, they were against him. A man who had received great 
and miraculous things in his life. A man whose entire life was changed based on one moment, one encounter with Jesus. And the crowd did not support him. As you reflect on your journey and the things that God has brought you through, first of all, are you following Jesus? Have you set aside the things that maybe were a natural pursuit for you? Maybe you started coming to church because it was a cool place to come, or maybe because the pews are comfortable, or because we keep the air conditioning on when it's hot outside. I don't know why you started coming. We do keep the AC on, though. That's good. I don't know why you started coming. But are you following Jesus? And as you follow Jesus, are you finding that your pursuit of God is resulting in a connectivity to the Holy Spirit that brings about the fruit of the Spirit? There should be fruit that comes after. Always starts with connectivity, but always brings fruit. And thirdly, are you staying fixated on Jesus? Even when the crowd stands in opposition even when the Pharisees arrive, even when every naysayer shows up, are you keeping your eyes fixed on Jesus? You know what I love about this young man in in John chapter 9? Never know his name. But he who was blind and can now see, who had no other explanation except that he had an encounter with Jesus. You know Jesus comes back to him. Don't you love that Jesus never leaves you? And he never forsakes you? He never leaves you in the lurch. And while it may seem in the moment that things are difficult and times are tough and people are against you, Jesus never, he never gives up on you. And as we reflect on the end of John chapter 9 here tonight, it is amazing how we see... Oh, I want to show you this. I'm sorry. (laughs) I almost forgot. We want, I want to keep reading through John 9. Verse 25, and, and uh, they called the man that was blind, and he said, well, we know that Jesus is a sinner, and he answered and said, verse 25, whether he be a sinner or no, I know not. One thing I know, that whereas I was blind, now I see. I love that faith, that, that attachment to Jesus. Verse 26, then said they to him, what did, he, what did he to thee? How opened he thine eyes? And he answered, I have told you already, and ye did not hear. Wherefore would you hear it again? Will ye also be his disciples? You see, he's already made the decision. I love it. He's like, I've already made the decision. I'm, I'm going to follow this dude. I don't care whether or not you like him. I don't care whether or not you think it's popular. I don't care whether or not you think it fits in with the Septuagint. I'm going to follow him. Well, are you going to be his disciple too? Is that why you're asking this question? Kind of like Herod, you know, when Herod was like, tell me where you find the child so that I can go and pursue him as well. No, no, no. He knew. And he says, I'm going to follow him. Then they reviled him and said, Thou art his disciple, but we are Moses' disciples. For we know that God spake unto Moses. As for this fellow, we know not from whence he is. You ever notice that the the people who stand in opposition to those that are pursuing God would have done so with the prophets of old? You know, we put Jesus on the cross collectively, every single one of us. Uh, That's part of the the doctrine of, of, of the cross, is that we all formally, on behalf of the Jews, rejected Jesus. There was no one that stood on his side. Every person, either by silence or by outright cries of crucify him, put Jesus on the cross. 
There was no one that stood on his side. And we stood there at that time, collectively in in a sense, in the same way that Adam sinned and so now all men are sinners. Do you understand that? We all put Jesus on the cross. And so we get this idea about ourselves that if I was there in that day, I would not have done it. I would have stood by Jesus. No, you wouldn't. No, you wouldn't have. Now, maybe if you time traveled and you know the whole story, that's not how that works. If you were there, you would have shouted, crucify him. Or at the very least, stood silently to the side and allowed it to happen. Verse 30, the man answered and said unto them, Why herein is a marvelous thing, that ye know not from whence he is, and yet he hath opened mine eyes. What a cool verse. Isn't it marvelous, he said, after being uh, attacked, put on parade, set on a, a seat to answer 40 questions, he says, isn't it marvelous that you don't know where he came from or what he represents, but now I see. Verse 35, Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and when he had found him, he said unto him, Dost thou believe on the Son of God? And he answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? And Jesus said unto him, Thou hast both seen him, and it is he that talketh with thee. See, again, we did, we're, we're not told that he ever talked to Jesus. We don't know that he even recognized his voice. Think about that. He recognized his parents' voice. His parents walked in the room, and he's putting, he's putting the audible. You ever, you ever had a conversation with somebody on the phone, and so you know their voice, but you've never met them in person? And then you meet them in person for the first time, it's like, whoa, like that, that connectivity? Now imagine that over 30 years for this young man. But for Jesus, we, we have no uh, story telling us whether or not he ever heard Jesus' voice up until this time. He is approached by Jesus again. He says, are you going to believe in the Son of Man? He says, who is he? Who's this guy? Are you talking about Jesus? Are you talking about this, this guy who healed me, not even knowing that he was referencing or that he was Jesus? Thou hast both seen him, and it is he that talketh with thee. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I am come into this world, that they which see not might see, and that they which see might be made blind. And Jesus' whole work of turning upside down that which we thought, that what the Pharisees thought was right, and turning all of their own wisdom against them. So tonight, as you reflect on your journey, pursuing God, are you founded on Christ? Have you set your eyes upon Him? Aside from the world, aside from all the other things of life that try to push you to pursue that, other spiritual leaders who might be good but are not Christ. Have you set your heart on Christ? Number two, where's your fruit? As you get that connectivity, John chapter 15, you will find that the vine produces fruit in us. And number three, will you let the crowd steal your joy? Or, you will, or will you stay fixated on he that has called you to be a disciple. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, we love you, and we are so thankful for your work. Thank you for sending your son to die on a cross for our sins. Thank you for the work that he did. Thank you for uh, the work of, uh, of turning upside down the spiritual world of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and for setting things straight. 
Lord, you are a God who takes crooked things and makes them straight. Father, thank you for changing us. Thank you for drawing me to you when, Lord, in my past I've pursued men. I've pursued people. God, thank you for putting up with my, uh, my, my wrong thinking and drawing me to you. Lord, as you do a work in our hearts, would you draw each person in this room to you? Would you expose areas of their life where they have not pursued you? Where they are holding back? Where they are uh, trying to, with one hand, say that they want to pursue you, and with another, they're hiding something behind their back. They're holding something back, God. Would you expose that now in our hearts? Father, as we reflect on fruit that has been produced, Lord, it's so easy to think this is something we produce in ourselves that it's work that we've accomplished, it's, it's skill, and it's what we bring to the table, and God, it's never been about what we bring to the table. It's always been about the work that you do in us. And so, Lord, as we draw to you, would you make the fruit of the Spirit evident in our lives because it is not something that we can accomplish on our own. And finally, Father, when the crowd stands in opposition, when the world is in an uproar, When our neighbors and our family are not excited for what you are doing in our lives, would you help us to draw in closer to you? Lord, not every person who loves us is for us. And help us to remember that in every situation, that you are a God who loves, who is compassionate, who heals, and who cares for those that are in need of care. Thank you for being a God to the parentless. Thank you for being a God to those who are wounded and suffering. And Lord, thank you that in every situation of our life that we may face, that the work that you're doing in us is to manifest your glory. And I pray that you would do it in us. As we stand to our feet, as the music plays, if God has spoken to your heart tonight, take a moment, pray. Maybe God has exposed something or someone that you are following that is not him and if that's the case would you repent of that now would you turn to God say God I want to pursue you I'm tired of my thing I'm tired of the way that I have gone I'm choosing you for others in the room maybe it's a a fruit problem maybe you're discovering that your life kind of looks a lot like it did 5 years ago, 6 years ago 10 years ago, 20 years ago you're saying, God, why hasn't anything changed? Maybe it's because you're not connected to the vine. Tonight, would you draw nigh to God? Say, Lord, I, I don't know all the steps. I don't know all the things that I need to do. But if you'll show me what I need to change, I'll make the change. Finally, maybe you're going through a tragedy, a trial. And the people around you don't seem to be as supportive as you would have expected it. Maybe God has done something miraculous and you, you feel like for some reason things aren't going the way you would have expected. Can I encourage you to, to wrap yourself in Jesus' arms under the wing of the eagle that Jesus is and place yourself firmly within his grasp. Jesus has not forgotten you. He's never taken his eyes off of you. Trust in him. Glory in him so that the work that he's doing in your life can be made manifest.
Father, we love you, and we are so thankful for the work that you've done. Lord, thank you for 2023. What a great year. A great year, Father, in in my life, and I'm sure for many of the lives that are here. And Lord, I pray that this next year, 2024, would be on to bigger and greater things that we cannot fathom. Lord, that you would do a great work in every life here. That you would make yourself known, that you would draw us to you. Lord, help us to pursue you with a, a fiery passion as we seek to follow you, the God who is our foundation, the God who is the, the rock and not the sand. And we'll give you the honor and praise for what you do in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. We're going to have a quick video and then we'll be dismissed. Make plans to join us for an exciting Share the Vision service on Sunday morning, January 7th at 11 a.m. with Pastor Justin, who will share goals and exciting plans for this new year. On this special day, we will hold a joint morning service at 10.45 a.m. with an abbreviated connection group schedule from 10 to 10.30. Also, don't miss our 5 p.m. service on January 7th for a time of corporate prayer, a challenge from our pastor, and a charcuterie board fellowship to follow. The annual business meeting will be held on Wednesday, January 10th, following the 7 p.m. service. In this meeting, the 2024 budget will be explained and voted on, and the meeting will also cover the deacons on rotation. The next Starting Point class will be next Sunday, January 21st. Starting Point is an opportunity for you to explore membership at Grandview, to find out more about growing in your relationship with Christ, getting connected and plugged in, and to ask any questions that you might have. Enjoy a delicious meal while learning how to take the next step in your journey of faith here at Grandview. Child care is provided. If you would like to be a part of this class, please sign up at the welcome If this is your first or second time here, we want to answer your questions and get to know you. Please fill out the Connect card in the pew in front of you and bring it to guest services as you exit the auditorium. We would love to meet you and you will receive a gift card. Have a great week and we'll see you Wednesday night at 7. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy New Year's Eve to come and be a part of our service here at Grandview Baptist Church. God bless you, and may you have a wonderful New Year.